Hi there. My name's Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Our first reading this morning comes from 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. At that place, Elijah came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. God said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Here ends the reading. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 14th chapter. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time the boat battered by the waves was far from land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him saying, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Our theme for the day is storms. And we're prompted with questions like, what do we do and where does God fit in? You know, Elijah sees wind, quake, and fire, sure. Even Jesus, just being out on the sea gets to this theme on top of the storm that's there. For those in biblical times, the waters were a a real-life metaphor for chaos and death. From their perspective, there was hardly any explaining why are some ships overtaken at sea. There was hardly any knowing why do some ships come home while others disappear forever. The seas highlighted the harshness of our world, and Jesus follows suit, embracing this 
real world metaphor motif, living out the symbolism as he goes out and walks upon the waters. He physically stands above it as a demonstration of his divinity. And he metaphorically walks above the water as a demonstration of his authority and power over death. In the midst of storms besides, the demonstration which Elijah witnessed is, you know, in this quake, fire, storm, and silence bears a similar lesson about the spirit and the presence of God. We can go looking in the chaos, in the natural evil, trying to figure out what God is up to, why God did this, why God allowed that, what's God's purpose for it. We can ask all the right questions in all the right order, and, well, it won't work. (laughs) People who know have known this for over 2,000 years. We just won't find God that way. Even Elijah left there, exasperated, alone, afraid, wondering, okay, what's next? Instead, where he finds and then we find God is in sheer silence, as if it were the sound of a hushed murmur, a soft whisper. The various ways translators have interpreted and passed this along to us is an indication of just how, well, the various ways faithful people find God and relating to that. In moments of silence or meditation or prayer, in the moments after the storm has passed. And we join with Elijah in asking, okay, God, what's next? Don't feel guilty if you struggle to see God in the heat of the moment in the throes of a crisis. Even Elijah, the prophet among prophets, couldn't do it. Peter fares a little bit better here, but (laughs) let's not give him too much credit. He's bumbling about like usual, thinking Jesus might be a ghost. The truth of the matter is God drew nearest to humanity in the most overt and plain to see fashion when God the Son became incarnate in Jesus Christ. So but even with that, the fullest advantage, you know, the easiest way to see God, Peter still can't quite keep it together. Don't you, don't you dare beat yourself up today. But okay, if, if quakes, fires, storms, and rocky seas are stand-ins, real-life metaphors for things like the presence of chaos and death and all manner of evil, particularly starting with natural evil, you know, evil not caused by people, what do we say of disease? What do we say of this pandemic? Unfortunately, it bears saying because, well, doubtless there are preachers this morning just abusing this text. They'll say things like, well, if you had enough faith, you'd be safe. If you don't, uh, you don't need to be cautious because God will protect you. Most people who fall in the sea, Jesus pulls them back out, right? If they have faith. Never mind that Elijah was running to the hills for fear of death. Never mind that Jesus himself was crucified. Prosperity gospel, the idea that If you do just the right thing, you will survive and thrive, be healthy and wealthy. It's a farce. I mean, it ignores the biblical reality that God's people are prone to suffering and dying at the hands of injustice and evil. Elijah responded to the danger by running from it to stay safe long enough to regroup with God. The disciples stayed in the boat until Jesus called one of them out. They responded to the danger in a way that would preserve life, even their own lives. 
And we see this reality all the time, that those who understand the severity, the danger of their situation and respond appropriately make themselves and others safer. But people who pretend it's no big deal bring the danger about in full force. Evils like this happen regardless of what we do, but we can respond in different ways. Elijah ran because it was either run or be killed. Peter and the disciples hunkered down because storms are dangerous and ghosts are to be feared. Now, of course, Jesus clarified, do not be afraid, because it was him, not a ghost. Jesus didn't say, hey, storms are no big deal. Quit being pansies and swim out here. But he did heed Peter's request to call him out of the boat. Likewise, just past our text, God will soon tell Elijah to to go back and put kings and prophets in their anointed place to do God's work. Him staying alive a little longer is going to help him accomplish his purpose. There's a difference there between what was done and what could have been done. And frankly, it's the message for today that God calls us to a certain sort of recklessness. Now, in this life, we all approach and tolerate risk in different ways, you know, for our own individual reasons. Where God's call for us comes into this requires that we step outside ourselves. It it, it goes deeper than just where we're from and what risk we'll tolerate. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said it's to love God and the others like it, love your neighbor. When love of God and love of neighbor are the priority, That means a certain level of recklessness has to happen. Today, that means food banks and pantries need volunteers during a pandemic. Essential workers have to go to work. Those who have the means to give and spend must keep the economy going. If we all stayed inside and stuffed our money in mattresses, we'd be headed for a whole heap of trouble, even bigger than the one we're already in. We have to keep moving forward in order to care for each other. When Luther was asked what he would do when living through an epidemic, a plague, he said, well, much the same thing. Really, it's pretty intuitive. He wrote, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. To one, it would seem reckless for someone like Luther, a preacher, teacher, leader, to go about administering medicine when others are capable of doing that in his place. Yet love of neighbor compelled him to do so and advise others the same. And yet to another, it would seem cowardly for someone capable and able-bodied to stay home, citing fears of infecting himself or others whom he did not need to see. And yet that's exactly what loving your neighbor looks like too. God calls us to be reckless when recklessness means our neighbor is best loved 
and best served to tolerate that level of risk. God calls us to be prudent when prudence means our neighbor is best loved and best served. God called Peter out into the water as a real-world metaphor, leaning into the symbolism to teach Peter and the other disciples and us about God in the incarnate Christ. God does not call us to hop out of boats at any given opportunity as though going overboard were a moral compulsion like we're supposed to test God in that way. Nothing like that. We have to navigate this tension for ourselves. And it's difficult, especially right now, incredibly difficult, as we come upon a major transition in our own community and communities, wherever you're hearing this, with schools reopening, I'd ask that you take stock of these pressures, this tension of what God may be calling you to do. Can you support your local businesses, even if you don't like the way they're handling the situation, be that over or under cautiousness? Is it wise to throw a party with different kids from different families who go to different schools? Or can it wait? Understand that even if no one gets real sick and no one dies as the result of one of our parties, transmission at an event like that could mean schools have to shut their doors for two weeks or more. That means parents unable to go to work. Education will suffer. People don't have to die for that to be a bad idea. Can you see the people you need to see? And let's include parents and grandchildren and the like on that list. Help the people you need to help. Care for yourself. And at the same time, keep everyone around you as safe as possible. Put distance between you and others. I am convinced if we all restricted our activity to what we must do, to what is compelling, moral, and good, then we would all be able to safely go about doing Exactly those things. We could all safely do what we must do if we all just stuck with that. Now let's get back to the text to wrap this up in a corny but at least direct sort of way. Parties at the home, at at the bar. They're like jumping out of the boat into the rocky seas for a fun swim and maybe pulling your friends overboard with you. Volunteering at the food bank is like Jesus calling you out to do the right thing for the sake of the kingdom even though it looks dangerous. In my not-so-humble opinion, parties and the like are not worth risking your friends and family or anyone else. They're not even worth risking the disruption of work and education. Volunteering and serving God and neighbor are worth it, especially if caution is taken. Now, God may well be calling you out of the boat, and if so, keep the faith. Stretch out your arms and step out. But God also may well be calling you to just sit down and relax. The storm will pass in due time. And then the silence. And in that silence, we can ask the still small voice, Okay, God, what's next? Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio in my sermons does not always come with proper 
citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my own seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study, and I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave, fairly often. Some credit is due to at least one of those other sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other. Be responsible and have a great rest of the week. Thanks.